Before we get started, I wanted to tell you about an exciting opportunity that is just a month away. At Pipeline West, you will not only hear plenary sessions from Carrie Newhoff and Eric Geiger, but you'll also be placed in an interactive coaching group to help you develop a leadership pipeline. You will audit the current state of leadership at your church, uncover the barriers that are preventing you from developing a reproducible culture of leadership, and create a leadership pipeline strategy that you can begin to implement when you get back to your church. Seating is limited since we value personal interaction. So register today at myleadershippipeline.com. Once again, that is myleadershippipeline.com. Now let's get to the podcast. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And I I don't know what I was doing there. You were going to say, and I'm here with... Daniel M. And, and I was going to say, hello, hello. Here, hello, hello. <laughs> in a very Canadian way. Yes, but you haven't done what in a long time, though, because you're That's introducing why. most of them, yeah. though. That's why you have to listen to New Churches, because I can do... Exactly. The New Churches Q&A podcast, which right before we got started, you were wondering whether or not your yes. New Year's episode did better than Ed's Christmas episodes. It did, but with we me. haven't had time to see if they shake out. So I'm no. about 100 off of Ed's. Yeah, so it's pretty close, but I'm gonna have to tweet a time or two. Yes. To get those oh, and then corrected. yeah, and then so if you haven't listened to the New Churches Q and A podcast, that's one that Todd and I, as well as Ed, that we do together, answering church planting, multi site, and multiplication leadership questions as well. And we typically have a pretty rockin' intro music. We do. It's stomp ish. But on the Christmas episode, we used elevator kind of Christmas music. And, and then I wasn't having any of that. No. So Todd decided to bring in his EDM. Bluegrass for, EDM. Yeah, bluegrass EDM for January. <laughs> so if we can make sure that those are in the show notes, then yeah, we'll just bless our 5LQ, we'll bless audience, 5LQ audience with some great music. Ed, which is always important. <laughs> exactly. All right. But that's not what this is about. We're being rude. We haven't we introduced our guests. Well, we've been talking pretty, I mean, I always, the, the conversation before we hit the record button is always so, interesting. Ins- it is very interesting. So I'm, I'm sorry that you had missed that, but this podcast is going to be great with a, with an elite member of the 5LQ. Second time club. Yes, exactly. Elite. So we've interviewed a couple people uh, a few times. So that would be John Maxwell, Craig Groeschel. Christine Kane. And now. Sorry. I had to do it. I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't help it. Um, Allie, are you thoroughly embarrassed now? I don't even know what to do with myself after that intro. If you great to be back though, seriously. If you want to go back in um the olden days of the podcast. You'll the find, olden days. <laughs> you'll, you'll find that episode where we were talking about her, uh, one of her books, Breaking Busy. So it was episode 18 where uh, where Ali was interviewed about uh, work and home life balance. So be sure if you haven't listened to that, uh, you know, talk about disc profiles. And I mean, Ali's the CEO of Propel woman. Uh, so, I mean, be sure to listen to that. But today we're actually going to be bringing in our second round of questions with yes. Ali. Yes, yes. So one of the things to, to know there is Propel is really focused on women's leadership. It's not just women's ministry. It's like women who are leading things. And so if you are listening to this podcast, uh, you're probably leading something. And if you're female, definitely check that out. So uh, without further ado, Daniel, why don't you get us kicked off? 
Shouldn't we mention our book that's coming out as well? Oh, we can do that. You you can do that. <laughs> yeah. So last time uh, we talked about Ali's previous book, Breaking, not Breaking. I was going to say Breaking Bad. <laughs> you were. Breaking Busy, well, dude. Okay. Breaking here's, Busy. Here's the funny thing about, about Breaking Busy. I will have these sweet little ladies at conferences come up to me and say, Allie, Breaking Bad changed my life. <laughs> and I never correct them. I go, oh, I'm so honored to hear that. So I, think, I know what. I know what you're watching in the background, Carol. <laughs> That's awesome. Hilarious. Okay, so the new book is uh, is Fierce Faith, and I mean you're you're really breaking down uh, a lot of fears. So, you know, we've done several episodes on lies that leaders believe, and a, a lot of those break down to really being fears that we have. So, you know, fear of rejection, fear of our children, fear of failure or betrayal. Like all of these things that um, we're all susceptible at to, um, and and I know from being married, um, my wife is susceptible to as well. I mean, you know, we're in the process of planning baby showers and deciding who to invite, and on, and, and you know, it, it's it's crazy. Um, all the the different games that you play in your head of uh, just fears. Um, so, is there anything else you wanna you wanna say about that book to kind of encapsulate it in a, a sentence or two? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know if I can do a sentence or two, but for me, the thing that prompted me to write this book on fear is for me, I realized that, you know, I've heard a million sermons on, um, that we're, that we're supposed to, you know, fear not that we're supposed to be courageous, that perfect love casts out fear. But for me and for so many people I knew, especially entrepreneurs and leaders who are also believers, there's this kind of, um, low key feeling that we're failing because we're still afraid. So what I wanted to do with fierce faith was to combine the truth of scripture with really practical tools. Like what do you actually do when you wake up in the morning and you're afraid that things are going to fall apart? Or what, what do you do when you're afraid something's going to happen to your kid and kind of provide a step-by-step manual. And so I like to marry um, the scriptural with practical tools. Good deal. That's great. So be sure to pick that up wherever books are sold. You can also go to AllieWorthington.com slash Fierce Faith and, and learn more about all of that. We'll put that all in the show notes if you go to LifeWay.com slash leadership. But let's get into the first question of the second round of five LQ questions, yeah. which is what is a conflict or failure that has benefited you in leadership? Oh, gosh, that is a great question. What I have learned is every one of my failures has always benefited me in leadership. So for my years of being an entrepreneur, the, the mantra that we all live by is fail fast, fail often, because the faster you can prove something doesn't work, the faster you can find out what does work. Mm. Now, when I went into the ministry and the nonprofit world, that's not necessarily the same <laughs> mantra that, that everyone has, right? Like right. failure we tend to look at failure in, in our work instead of thinking of it as, as a test and a stepping stone on the way to what actually works. We tend to, because we're so personally invested in it, we tend to think that it is, it is a failing of, of huge magnitude. Mm. When really it can be as simple as, okay, this email campaign needs to be tweaked or this way that we're going to grow revenue over here. Well, I'm glad we learned quickly that that didn't work because now we're going to pivot. 
So for me, I've learned to give myself a lot of grace and have to remind myself all the time that whenever I completely mess something up, it's a stepping stone for me to be able to learn how to do it the right way. I think that's really interesting because, you know, I think part of the problem is so often we equate God's blessing with God's presence. Like Exactly. And it, success yeah. with that, right? So if God doesn't bless this, then his hand's not in it or it's not on it or he's not, you know, with it, for it. And I think the interesting thing about that is when I look at times in my life where um, I have been closest to God is through failure. Absolutely. Um, and honestly, you know, I would say not to bring this back to the book, but really to ask the question of how do you balance? So, you know, my wife is due in six weeks from now. Mm-hmm. I know it's crazy. That is crazy. Uh, so please, awesome. Please pray for me. Yes, I will be praying <laughs> for you. <laughs> pray for her as well yeah. and the baby. Yes. But it's, it's interesting when you go through the process of, you know, uh, the first before the first uh, 20 weeks, there's not a lot, you know, and you're waiting to find out, is there something wrong? Mm. Um, You know, we're not as young as we used to be and, and risks go up and all that. Is there something wrong? And so you find yourself in that fear um, really close. My prayer life was much better, you know, Mm. (laughs) at the first 20 (laughs) weeks than it is the the last 20 weeks. Um, And, and, you know, I'm just, being honest and saying that because I was afraid of, Hey, these are all the things that could go wrong. Um, and that fear held me close to God. So how do you balance not being, how do you balance that fear of being not wanting to be having uh, fear of failure or anxious, but at the same time, recognizing that a lot of times that anxiousness is what drives us close to God. Wow, that's a very wise statement and such a great question. Um, it, it's interesting. I was at a taping that Lisa Harper did just last night for the book of Job. And I thought, I don't know what in the world she's going to have to say about the book of Job because I have problems with the book of Job. But it's it's going to be a phenomenal Bible study that comes out later this year. And what she was talking about was... Um, you know, the mistake we all make thinking that that suffering is bad when suffering does bring us so close to the Lord. And I think what we have to divide out is the fear of suffering versus when we're in suffering. So when we are in suffering and we, if I can go so far as to say, when God chooses us to go through a season of suffering um, because we're so close and we get to be so close to him in that season, it's different than the fear and the anxiety that something could happen. And one thing that I learned was in, in this research for the book was so much of, of what we fear, not only, of course, is it not going to happen, but we have to look at it from a different lens. We have to say, okay, if this thing, if I, if I can pinpoint that this actually is likely to happen, how much control do I have over it? And when we can start kind of being a little more rational with our thoughts and, and step back from it a little bit, we can say, yes, this thing that is likely to happen that I'm afraid of, I do have control or I don't have control to affect it. And if we don't have control to affect it, that's when we have to remember to take it to God and say, I can't bear the weight of the anxiety of worrying about it. But if we do have any ability to control it or affect it whatsoever, that's when we can begin to put a plan in place 
And that's when we start feeling better and we can kind of stop that anxiety spiral that we all go into in those situations. Yeah. I mean, just checking reality. I remember when I was in counseling, when I received counseling uh, in seminary, it was actually a, 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 the counseling course. And it was like for your final, you either write a final paper on some sort of counselor or you receive successions of counseling. And I was like, oh, I'm totally doing <laughs> successions of counseling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and it was actually there where there was a lot of, uh, the counselor called them ir irrational beliefs that I had. Right. These mm -hmm. fears that I had uh, that actually she helped me break down and, and show, I, I mean, where is that coming from? It's, com it's actually coming from the pit of hell, <laughs> right? I mean, right. there's no grounds for that. And it was just such a important um, step towards freedom in that. So I, I really appreciate that, Ali. Ali. One thing that I talk about in, in this book, I learned from, from going to counseling years ago as a teenager, I, I call it the so what game. And it stems from me walking into the counselor's office and telling her this, this fear I had or this anxiety that I had over something that would happen in the future. And she would say, okay, so what? And I was livid. You can only imagine as a, a teenager, you know, getting that sort of attitude back. And, and she would, and she would kept challenging me. And so she'd say, okay, if this happens, will the world end? You know, I'm rolling my eyes going, no, the world is not going to end. Well, if this happens, will you survive? Literally, will you survive? Yes. And so what she was doing is she just kept talking me off the ledge mm -hmm. until I could kind of get rational about my beliefs, my mindset about it. And I do that now. If I am if there's something huge that's going on, I will make myself play the so what game. So it just that's takes good. me, takes me out of that so I can look at it rationally and again, stop myself from having those beliefs that aren't helpful. All right. I'm going to move us on to uh, question two. So awesome. what has been <laughs> the greatest <laughs> leadership? No, I'm just kidding. So who or what has been the, the greatest leadership influence in your life other than Nick King? Or Todd um, Adkins. Nick is the best. Um, I'm going to say. See how she said Nick is the best, but didn't uh, say anything about you, Todd? Oh, Todd, you, you are the best, too. You are the best. I'm, I'm going to have to He's say Christine Kane. I mean, it, it, sounds, it sounds super cheesy to say because I work for her. Um, but spiritually, um, just just me with me personally, not just me in my work life, she has absolutely been the greatest influence on me. I, I wouldn't be who I am today had she not been in my life. And I've only, you know, been working for her for three and a half years, but she's just, she's a phenomenal influence and I'm so grateful for the time I've had with her. Can you like expound a little bit on that? Like, you know, what are some of those things that um, she's either said or done or a situation that would kind of help us sure. give us some context? Well, for one, Unfortunately for me, no one has more energy than that woman. So I can never say I'm tired. <laughs> like in her, because she is so driven by the gospel and she mm. is so driven to help people and to spread the news of Jesus. She has more energy than 10 people together. So she's really taught me to up my game. I mean, I thought I worked hard before and I thought that that I was driven and had great vision and, and you know, wanted to do big things for the kingdom. But I, you know, it was nothing when I met her. Um, but just personally for me, she's just, she has this way of, of being a leader who, who sees you for who you are 
and can speak into your life. Um, I was going through something when Breaking Busy came out. My husband was very, very sick. He had developed adult onset asthma. And, mm-hmm. you know, every virus that the kids brought home would turn into, within a couple of weeks, would turn into pneumonia. So when Breaking Busy is in the middle of coming out, I took a week off of work and I'm doing, you know, all those book launch things. And he's so sick. We're just worried about him getting enough oxygen. You know, does he need to go to the ER today? It was just, it was a horrible, horrible time for us. And Saturday morning, the end of the week after book launch, 8 a.m., she calls 6 a.m. her time in California and says, hey, I need to talk to you. Okay. She says, listen, with, with this book, you're taking territory away from the enemy and the devil is coming after you and he's coming after Mark and he's coming after your boys. And it's time you learn to stand up and fight back. You have to stop hiding out in the corner, hiding out, eating Reese cups because she knows me so well. (laughs) And She's like, you have to see yourself as somebody on the front lines of this battle for the kingdom and learn how to fight. And of course I am crying at this point going, Chris, I hadn't talked to her all week. I said, Mark is so sick. Everything's falling apart. I can't do this. She said, I know. That's why I'm calling you. Now sit down and listen to me. And that was literally the phone call that started my journey to figure out how to fight back and get free from fear. I didn't even realize at the time I was living like that because I guess in my mind as a leader, we, this is just like life in the modern world. Like, carrying this weight of anxiety and fear, it's just what we all do. Um, I didn't even realize how much of it I carried. I wouldn't even say that I was afraid. I would just tell people that I was stressed, right? Um, so f- for that, I mean, I'm just, for the sake of, of you know, the health of, of my health and my family's health and how we learn to, to stop letting um, the enemy come in at us on the side in the midst of a storm in our life. I'm forever grateful. Hmm. And thanks. Thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, let's, let's move on to the third question. And maybe that ties into a little bit of, of what we've been talking about till this point. But Ali, what, what do you want your leadership legacy to be? That I cared more about obedience to God than how I looked to the outside world mm. because we all, well, okay. I don't, I don't know if I can say we all, I have a tendency to, to want to make sure that, that I look like I have my act together. Uh, who doesn't, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> I mean, because we think how people respond to yeah. us is, is somehow in relation to how obedient we are to God. It's kind of like what you said earlier we have this false idea that if we're doing the right thing, God's going to bless it. And sometimes it just takes so much longer to see the fruit um, than we think it does. Like we have to till the hard soil. We have to plant the seeds. We have to nurture the seeds before we ever get the fruit. But to us, we're like, well, I just popped some seeds in the ground over here and God's going to bless it. Right. Mm. Um, same thing with with me. I have this tendency to think that if I'm in God's will and I'm obeying God, everybody's going to be happy with me. So for me, I want my leadership legacy to be that, that my primary focus was always on obeying God and, and making sure that I was honoring him and everything I did. And if that's the case over time, everything else will fall into line. What are, what are some, 
kind of, you know, you're going about your day, maybe dropping your kids off at school, going, I mean, even after our podcast, you said you're going to be going to a game um, with your kids. And I mean, there's just these moments throughout the day and, and maybe someone messages you on, on Instagram or, you know, Twitter or Facebook, or it just stops you. And, and, you know, there's just, they, they kind of lift you up, you know what I'm talking like, not, I mean, it's encouraging, but they're kind of more awestruck in, in what God has done through you, or maybe they, they've read your book and they're like, I can't believe I'm talking to Ali right now. And, and there are these moments where it's, it's easy to get kind of sucked into that. Oh, yeah. What are what are what are some of the things that you do uh, in in those moments in the everyday to really focus more on obedience than what other people think about you? Well, first off, when that happens, it feels so great, like so great, and it feels so good that it's terrifying. Mm. Um, somebody said to me once that everyone has three weaknesses. A leader told me this once. Everyone uh, either has the weakness of. Um, they want fame, they'll fall into sexual sin, or there's financial, like uh, financial um, weakness, right? Hmm. And luckily for me, fame's never been my thing. I think for me, my weakness is finances. I always worry, like, what if the future, what, what if everything falls apart in the future? Um, but I'm really sensitive to, to this unnatural sense of fame that we kind of have because of social media. And for me, I do enjoy it when I hear those things and it scares me to death Mm. because I don't want to get caught in it. Um, I think what takes me out of it, I wish I could say something super spiritual. Like when that happens, I say to Jesus, Lord, don't ever (laughs) let me, don't ever (laughs) let me get stuck in that. But I don't, I mean, for me, it's like, well, I have to take the dog out or I'm taking out the garbage or, you know, one of my kids needs me to do something terrible, you know, and help him with homework, which apparently I'm not smart enough to do fifth grade (laughs) math anymore. Um, so it just keeps me super, super humble, but yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that when that happens, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. 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 That's good. So what habits or practices do you focus on so that you can continue to learn as a leader? Oh, that's a great question. One thing that I'm kind of obsessed with and have been for the past few years is um, being aware of of how I'm feeling during the day and when I do my best work. So I learned, I figured out about myself, and I think a lot of people are this way. We are super creative. We're able to focus and we're able to, to you know, sit down and be strategic and write early in the morning. So I know from 7 a.m. to 11, I'm just going to kill it. I'm going to be able to get everything that I need to get done. I can do high level work. I can write a chapter in a book, whatever it is I need to do. And that what I do there is I guard my time. I won't schedule any meetings. I turn my notifications off. I don't check my email between seven and 11. I'm done. And then during lunchtime, you know, I catch up on email, catch up on whatever fire I need to put out. And then in the afternoon, I'm semi worthless, honestly. Like, I can. <laughs> I'm glad I can, we're interviewing you at three. Well, in the it, afternoon. it is three. Okay. <laughs> well, here, let me qualify that. Like, that's when I have my meetings. That's when I talk to people because I'm not getting anything done, unless it's unless it's the boring tasks that doesn't that doesn't really require any brain power. She just like, called this boring, <laughs> and uh, this requires no brain power. <laughs> 
now this is fun. Uh, so like, yeah. you know, spreadsheets yeah. and that daily drudgery of work, that's mm-hmm. all in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Stop. I now. get that. I get that. Yeah. So what I do is I'm really, really structured with my day to protect those, you know, four or five hours where I'm able to do my best work. That's good. Uh, I mean, both Todd and I write and, uh, you know, as, as we're writing, it's, it's interesting just to see everyone's rhythms and habits and, and when they write for me. And, and I don't know, um, I would love to write in the morning and, and I feel, and, and, uh, you know, I've heard individuals like you, Ali and others just talk about just how the morning is the best time to write and all that stuff. But actually I write in the evening, so when I, when I wrote my previous uh, book, No Silver Bullets, I just literally, I'd put my kids down to bed, take a 30 minute nap, and then I'd write from like 830 to, to midnight. That's so fascinating. There's a new book coming out. I don't know if it's out yet from Daniel Pink. Yeah. And yeah, and he, his, his research and all of his, all of his, you know, the premise of the book with time management is. There are larks in the morning and then there are people like you, Daniel, who do their best work in the evening Mm. Um, and some people in the middle, but most everyone's either early morning or late evening. So that's really fascinating. I mean, without that nap, I'd be brain dead, but there's (laughs) something that happens. I can't nap. No. I mean, it's not like you fully fall asleep. It's just close your eyes for 30 minutes. Mm -mm. I could nap, but then I would really be worthless all day long. I don't know what I would do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you do that with your age of the children you have in your Well, they're all sleeping by eight. Oh, that's right. So, I mean, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you saying you nap at like 8 p.m.? Yeah. Yeah. So the the way I wrote this and and you know what? It's interesting. The way I wrote the, the book literally was I put them to bed by, you know, 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock ish. And then I'm taking a 30 minute nap. And then I'll get up at 8, 8.30 in the evening and then just start writing. No way. If I took a nap at that time, I'm not waking up until the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't take your nap. Like, oh, in, in, like I didn't take a nap on my pillow or in my bed. It's just like on the ground or just like, just yeah. So Still, it's, I just, I'd wake up on the ground in the morning. There you go. <laughs> it would be, yeah, once I was out, I just somehow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I got to be honest, though, now that I think about it. So you all know how I feel about television. And so, um, you know, when there's a new season of something that my wife really wants to watch and this is us, <laughs> we don't watch. Oh, yeah. don't oh you watch don't it. watch this is us. No, okay. I refuse. All right. I think it's a new parenthood and I have opinions yeah. about <laughs> those types of shows. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> uh, but anyway, the, uh, the thing for me is I ultimately end up sleeping anyway because <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know if you can tell this about my personality, but I'm like, a, I, I'm major ADD. So if you get me still for a long enough time and I don't have, if, if I don't have a laptop or a phone, then I'm just going to get bored with a screen and fall asleep pretty quick, yeah. pretty quickly. I cannot tell you the last movie that I watched that wasn't like a action adventure. So I'm the reason why Oh yes. Star hey. Wars used to have yes. scenes that were minutes long and now has like 18 <laughs> second cuts. 
Yeah. Yeah. So Ali, for our last question, uh, and and I love this because it's just kind of, you're distilling your thoughts, distilling wisdom. Maybe it doesn't have to be a tweet (laughs) and you can't mention any of Todd's tweets. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, I mean, when you think about leadership advice that you have been given, what sticks with you? What's kind of that best piece of leadership advice that you've been given? I think the the most helpful thing for me as a leader came from Jim Collins. So he let me come out to his office and spend some time with him in Boulder. And I just asked him, you considering he is, you know, the leadership expert, um, are leaders made or are they born? Because really the answer to this question, nobody has more research than Jim Collins. The answer to this question will affect me as a leader and so many future leaders, so many for people who, who don't think that they have what it takes to be a leader. And he said, hands down, no doubt about it. Leaders are made and not born. That leadership is all about your character and not your charisma. And that has been a cornerstone for me. Um, through seasons when I didn't feel like I had what it takes to lead in seasons where I felt like my leadership wasn't up to par because what it did for me is allowed me to keep this growth mindset that I'm always growing toward being a better leader, that it's not based on charisma or personality or gifting, but it's based on your character and how well you serve the people around you. And when I can stay in a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset of telling myself, well, this is what kind of leader I am. This is, this is how good I am. And I'm never going to get better. It allowed me to keep growing through the seasons that were rough. That's so good. That's so good. And I think it's interesting that we see, you know, time and time again, whether it's uh, a study that's done on, you know, the most admired leaders or or, a most admired leadership qualities or, how do you get successful in business? And it all right. comes back to character, character, character. Countless studies all bring back the idea that character is vitally important to leadership. Yeah, character. And then it's it's from that character that you get that tenacity, that perseverance, that grit. I mean, even, even if you look at, you know, talking about Jim Collins and his book, Great by Choice, he talks about, you know, climbing climbing this, you know, to the summit, you know, Everest and, and talking about the, the 20 mile march, you know, the guy who the, the team that did the 20 mile march versus the, the guy who led an expedition team who had climbed Everest before, but just based on the weather of the day decided whether or not they're going to hike and, and whether or not they're going to climb. So, so regardless of what the weather was like and whether it was cloudy or whether it was not the, the, the team that actually climbed and, and one was the one that Every single day, they did 20 miles. Even if they could have done 30, they just woke yeah. up, they did 20 miles, and they, and, they, and they stopped. And that's actually the team that, even though it was their first time uh, going through that. So, I mean, that's, that's huge. But, you, I mean, you wouldn't have that grit. You wouldn't have that perseverance and the t- that tenacity unless, you know, you had that foundation of character. So important. So important. Character and discipline, I think, yeah. seem yeah. to come back and be themes again and again and again in life and leadership. Mm-hmm. Well, Ali, we want to thank you so much for being on our podcast again and um, just bless you and your ministry to uh, women in leadership. Um, thank you so much for all that you're doing and Propel is doing as well. So 
And uh, of course, we will link to our book in the show notes. And is there anything, any parting words of wisdom that you would have for our listeners? I think the answer um, to most of our problems is to just keep going. Mm. And when things get hard, don't take that as an indication that you're not meant to do it. Um, Take it as an indication that it's important and that you need to keep going. Mm. Good words. Love it. Thanks again for being with us. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. Be sure to join us in California this February for Pipeline West. Register now at myleadershippipeline.com. Once again, that's myleadershippipeline.com. We'll see you there.